Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see this fine crowd here this morning. It's my pleasure to uh, introduce to you our, our speaker this morning. He is known to many of you already. His name is uh, David uh, Farr, and and uh, to give you a little bit about his background, both he and his wife Amber are graduates of Free Hardeman University. Uh, he holds the Bachelor's of Art in Bible. He also has a master's degree from uh, Liberty University in uh, Biblical Studies and also a master's degree from Free Hardeman University in, uh, in uh, Divinity. So he uh, has a great academic background. He has preached for the last 14 years uh, at places like the Trenton, uh, Tennessee Congregation, uh, New Hope Church of Christ, the Bowling Springs Church of Christ, and Bowling Springs, South Carolina. And he presently preaches for the St. Elmo Congregation here in Chattanooga. His wife's uh, name is Amber. She's also a graduate of Free Hardeman. And they have four wonderful children. I'll start with the oldest first. Uh, the oldest child is uh, Carrington, Lucas, Lincoln, and Crockett are, are the names of the four children. I hope you will afford the opportunity to meet them uh, after services. And it's my pleasure to introduce to you our brother David Farr. Thank you, sir. Isn't it grand to be a Christian? Definitely it's grand and wonderful to be able to be here with you this morning. Uh, I appreciate the uh, kind introduction uh, from Brother Jerry and also appreciate the hospitality we've already received uh, in just being here. Uh, we love the Saudi congregation. Uh, my wife and I have been bringing our kids to the VBSs um, ever since we moved here to Chattanooga. And we have always enjoyed those times, and our kids have always enjoyed that. In fact, it's one of the things they look forward to uh, every summer. Um, so we are just very, very pleased uh, to be here with you this morning also and have an opportunity uh, to worship with you, uh, but also an opportunity to share a part of God's Word with you. I want to start by thinking about this question. It's a common question. The question, why? And depending on how you ask that question, you kind of understand me the background of the person that's asking it. You might think about somebody going, why? And that's somebody that might be in grief or have something bad that happens to them. Um, uh, you might think about a, a child asking that question. Why? 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 And that can get kind of annoying. When you think about maybe a professor in school and and you always, those of you that you know, remember in, in high school or in, in college when there was a, a question that was asked and then you had the right answer to the question and then they come back and say, but why? And you thought, man, I thought I could get off with just saying that one answer, but now you have that question, why? Or perhaps you think about a, a news uh, reporter or a, a journalist uh, of some type, you know, asking a why uh, behind something, you know, why did this happen? If there's some type of, of issue at a, at a business or at an organization, or, or why did you do that? Asking some sports player about a, a play that he did or, or something along those lines. This morning, I want you to think about a why in a different sense, though. I want to think about what is your why? What is your why? One of my uh, favorite hobbies is, is long-distance running. And some of you might think right now, why? Um, and that's really a question that has to be answered. 
Um, because when I, I, I like doing these long-distance endurance events, and I know some of you here perhaps run or have done some type of endurance events, and there will come a time during that event where you will want to stop or you will want to give up or, or things will, will get tough, and that's when you must rely on what they call your why. Why are you doing this? Why are you putting yourself through that? Why is it? Is it because you want to finish? Is it because you have some other underlying reason behind it? Is it, is it family? Is it health? Is it for some greater purpose? And, and the greater and the stronger your why is, then the more likely you are to continue through with that task. Well, this morning what I want you to think about is what is my why for why I am a preacher of the gospel. And you can hopefully think about your why too. Why should you as a Christian, why should you want to be someone that shares the gospel? The story is told of a father talking with his son, and I have three boys of my own, and we've had conversations like this before too. But the father asked his son, Son, what are you going to do when you grow up? And the little boy thought about it for a moment. And looked up at his dad, and he said, Daddy, I want to be a preacher. Father was kind of shocked by that answer, and a little bit of, of pride perhaps, and, and came up upon him, and he kind of puffed his chest out a little bit, and said, well, that's great, son. Why do you want to be a preacher? And the little boy replied without even a second, second thought. He said, well, Dad, I figured I have to go to church anyway. And I'd much rather be standing up there and yelling than sitting down and listening. Well, I can promise you this, that my, my why is a little better than that. And what I want to do is, is turn to one of the greatest gospel preachers that this world has ever seen. And that would be the Apostle Paul. And if you have your Bibles with you, please turn over to 1 Corinthians and in chapter 9. And we want to look at verses 16 through 23. And we want to try to see what was Paul's why. If we were to ask Paul, Paul, why are you a preacher of the gospel? Paul, why, why do you go through so many hardships to preach the gospel? Paul, why have you gone from town to town, from city to city, from synagogue to synagogue, and, and preached the gospel even when people didn't want to hear? Why, why did you do this when, when you were run out of places? Why would you do this through the persecution? And perhaps, as we look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 16 through 23, we can see some of his why. And I want to relate that to my why also. And perhaps it can be your why too. Here in 1 Corinthians and in chapter 9, Paul is basically defending somewhat of his apostleship. He is trying to explain to the Corinthian brethren you know, why he is preaching the gospel. And he, and he tells them here, starting at verse 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, it gives me no grounds for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do this at my own will, then I have a reward. But if not at my own will, it is a, it is a stewardship that has been entrusted to me. What then is my reward? My reward is that I will preach the gospel or present the gospel free of charge as in not to make full use of my right 
in the gospel. For though I am free to all, I have become a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who were under the law, I became as one under the law, I might win those who were under the law, although Paul himself was not under the law. To those who were without law or outside the law, he became as one without, outside the law. Not outside the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ. They might win those outside of the law. To the weak, he became weak. They might win the weak. Paul says that I have become all things to all men, that by, by all means save some. And he does all of this, he says. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share it with them in its blessings. This morning, the first reason I give as why I am a preacher of the gospel is because there is a necessity that is laid upon me. It is something that I must do. We can ask the question, why was Paul, why did he feel that this this necessity was there? Why was he, as some translations say, so compelled to preach the gospel? I think the reason behind it is because Paul knew something. Paul knew the gospel. Paul knew that Jesus came to this earth and he died. Paul knew that the only way for someone to have salvation is through the preaching of that gospel. You know, later on in, in Romans and in chapter 10 and starting in verse 13, we have that, that, that famous line as a quote from Joel that for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But Paul makes a point, but how shall they call on him and whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him and whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? He knew something. He knew the gospel, and he knew that it was something that he had to share with them. He had to share it. He, as maybe you think about over in um, 2 Corinthians, and in chapter 5, and in verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I think Paul thought about his life, and he knew that while he was on the way to persecute the way, being Christians, that Jesus arrested him. And told him to go into the city and be told what he must do. Paul knew that when he was there blind and, and had not had anything to eat and had been praying for days, the Ananias told him, and now while you're waiting, arise and be baptized. Paul knew what the gospel could do to change lives. Paul was there when he was in that, that, um, that jail. When he was in those stocks and him and Silas were singing songs and you had a man that was on the verge of suicide become a Christian. Paul knew that things could change someone's life. And that thing was the gospel. No wonder over in Romans in chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, Paul, as he begins his letter, this, this great theological letter to the church at Rome, he says, I am a debtor, I am under obligation to the Jews and to the Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish, and I am eager to preach to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's almost as Paul could be thinking about himself as being a New Testament Jeremiah. Jeremiah being that, that weeping prophet, the prophet that told so many things about the, the dangers that were coming upon Israel. And Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 20, he says that at one point in his life, he decided that he would not mention him anymore. That he would no longer speak in the name of the Lord. But he said, as it were, that there was like a fire within his bones, that the word of God was like a fire trapped within his bones, and that he was weary from holding it back, and that he could not. So when you think about a reason for, for Paul and why he preaches the gospel, is because there was a necessity that was laid upon him. He had to do it. There was no other choice in his mind. And for you too, if you have the knowledge of God's word, if you know the gospel, then why would you not share it? If you know something that can change someone's life, if you know something that can take somebody from the darkness of this world and translate them into the marvelous light of his kingdom, then there is a necessity that is laid upon you too. The second reason I see about Paul and, and why that he was a preacher of the gospel and also the reason why I am a preacher of the gospel is as he says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Basically, what, what Paul is trying to say here, I think, is that if he doesn't preach, then he is in danger of judgment. That word woe is, is a word we see ever so often in, in the New Testament. Maybe you might think about some of the famous times that Jesus used it where he says time and time again in the book of Matthew, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. And when I was a kid, I, I thought that meant that the scribes and Pharisees were running away and, they, and Jesus was going, whoa, whoa. That's how we hear the word woe a lot of times growing up, you know. You know, you back up the truck too much. Whoa, 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 whoa. But this idea of the word woe is a, really a word of grief. It's a word of judgment. And when Jesus was talking to those Pharisees, he was warning them of judgment. And when Paul was talking about himself here, when he says, woe to me, he is warning himself of judgment too. Notice what it says in our text there in 1 Corinthians in chapter 9. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And in the very next verse, it talks about how that there is something that has been entrusted to him. Entrusted to him as a steward. I don't know about you, but that reminds me of a parable that Jesus told. Over in Matthew and in chapter 25 and verses 14 through 30, we have that famous parable, the parable of talents. I think it's interesting that we translate that word talents because we're talking about money there. We're talking about monetary gain. But we also, it plays over to the English word of talent, like an ability that we have. But you remember the story of the, 20, of the man of the talents and how that there was this, this great master and how he was going away for a certain period of time and he had entrusted... It's a different word in the Greek, but still the same idea. Entrusted these servants, these slaves of his, with different amounts. 
based off their ability. He gave one man five talents. He gave another man two talents. And he gave that other man one talent. And you know how the story goes. Jesus says the five-talent man that he immediately started using those talents and he, in return, gained five more back. The two-talent man also, he found a way to make those two talents into four talents. But that one-talent man, what about him? Well, we know what happens to him at the end. Right at the end, the master comes back, he talks to the five-talent man and says, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys, basically, of my kingdom. Same thing to the two-talent man. But that one-talent man, why is he punished? Why is he kicked out, if you will, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? It's not because he didn't do something wrong. It's not because he did something wrong. It's because he didn't do anything with what he had been given. When Paul is thinking about his apostleship and thinking about himself as, an, as a preacher of the gospel, he realizes that he has been entrusted with something great. And for him not to preach, woe to him. For him to keep his mouth shut, woe to him. It's almost like this equation. This is the equation I want you to think about. Is that Talent plus opportunity equals responsibility. Talent plus opportunity equals responsibility. Paul had been given a certain amount of talent. Paul, when you think about his life before Christianity, what an amazing man. He was someone that was, was raised the, the right way as a Jew. You can imagine him going to synagogue every single day, not for the worship part of it, but for the studying of the Scriptures. He was someone that was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He talked about how he has great zeal. He obviously was a great teacher because he had this, this ability to go into almost any synagogue he wanted to, and they would turn the floor over to him. He was someone that was respected. He had talent. But there also was opportunity. God had laid out opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. I think one of the great opportunities as, as Paul has been discouraged somewhat in his ministry and the Holy Spirit has hindered him from going to this place and to that place and then he has that vision of that man from Macedonia. And I imagine that man being, and being there and his hands opened wide and he says, Come and help us. There is an opportunity. Talent plus opportunity equals responsibility. Now, I by no means am, am anywhere close to the ballpark of Paul as a gospel preacher. But I'm very thankful to God that God has given me a certain amount of ability. And when I look around in my life, there is opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And therefore, it is my responsibility to use my talent during those opportunities. If not, woe is me. Same thing for you too, though. You know, so many times we don't think, we don't live intentionally as people that know the gospel. You know, there's one thing that we've been trying to encourage as far as our, our personal evangelism uh, recently is living intentionally. When you come across somebody, 
especially those who are outside of the fellowship, if you will, as, as Paul would call them in, in Colossians chapter 4, those who are outsiders, how that you need to take full advantage of the time and, and season your speech with salt. But living intentionally, intentionally doing things throughout your life, taking advantage of the opportunities that God gives you every day to share His Word. It doesn't mean you have to have your Bible there and say, well, do you know this, this, and this, and this? But just share the Christian message. Share that kindness, that compassion of Christ. Share something about Jesus, something about the Lord's church in some way. And who knows, over time, those opportunities that you have taken advantage of as your responsibility can turn into something great in the hands of God. Another reason I think about when I look at Paul here as a reason why he was a gospel preacher and also a reason why I am a gospel preacher is because I care for people. Paul definitely had care for people. Of course, the number one example of care for people is that of Jesus. I think about so many times we, 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 can, just, we can just imagine Jesus and, and we see Him and as we read throughout the, the New Testament and we see some of these occasions and you just think, wow, how can somebody care so much for somebody else? You think about the story there in, in John and what chapter 8 with that woman that was caught in adultery and, and you see His love and care for her. You think about even the woman at the well and his love and care for her. I think about such passages like Matthew 23 and verse 37 where I, at least I envision, envision this, that, that Jesus is walking across and walking through the towns there and he's at some type of area where he can see Jerusalem. He can see the city walls because later on in Matthew 24 he realized he's going to talk about the fall of Jerusalem. I can imagine him seeing the city walls. He can see the people going about their business. He can see all those individuals there. And he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, those who kill the prophets and stone the ones sent to them, how often have I wanted to be like a mother gathering her children or like a hen gathering her brood. But you would not let me. But you see his care. Or the occasion over in Matthew and in chapter 9 where Jesus in his, in his earthly ministry had gone from city to city, from town to town, and He was healing those people. He was delivering them from the demonic forces. He was causing the lame to walk and the blind to see. And all these many wonderful miracles we're not told about. We just know that it happened. And it comes to a point in verse 36, He says, And He saw the crowds. And he was moved with compassion. Literally in the Greek is the idea that, that your, your organs are being turned. There was something deep inside him that disturbed him when he saw all these people because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. And so he has care for those people. And he wants to be that shepherd to them. Well, I think one of my favorite passages over in Hebrews and in chapter 12, I already mentioned 
that I enjoy running. And so any passage I find in the Bible that talks about running, I enjoy. But especially verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12, there we find out that Jesus, because of the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. The joy. And you know, sometimes you think about what's the joy that Jesus has set before him? You know, what would bring Jesus to the point that he would go through all that suffering? And then the Hebrew writer says joy. And sometimes commentators talk about how that joy must have meant heaven. Oh, Jesus did this for the joy of heaven. But in context, I think better, his joy of going through the cross because he loved you. He knew that because of his suffering, you could have joy. And that was the joy set before him. He loved people. And then Paul takes right after him. He loves people too. You think about Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, and, and this prayer basically that, that Paul is, is saying towards his own brethren, not the brethren in Christ, but his brethren as Jews. And he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that they may be saved. That Israel would be saved. That's his desire. That's his prayer. That's what he went through time and time again. He loved those people. Think about the occasion over in Acts in chapter 17. Paul has been run out of Thessalonica and been run out of Berea and, and now he is waiting in Athens. And as he is waiting in Athens for, for Timothy and others to follow him and to come there and to help him in the ministry, it says that, that Paul looks around and he sees all the idols. And it provoked his spirit. He had something happen to him when he looked around Athens and he saw all those number of idols his spirit was provoked, not just because that there were idols, and him as a, as a good Jew growing up would abstain from idols, but because he knew there were people there that were lost. And it provoked his spirit. He cares for people. You see his care there in our own text this morning, in 1 Corinthians and in chapter, 19, and chapter 9 and verse 19. Where he says that although I am free from all, I have become a servant to all, that my, that my win the more. He says to the Jews, because I love the Jews, I became as a Jew. Not meaning that a Jew as far as that keeping the Old Testament law, but those that had that culture of the Jews. And, and many times, Paul would put aside certain things to make sure he can affect those Jews. He says those that were under the law, now we're thinking about religious Jews. He became one as under the law. Although he knew the law was done away with. But why did he do that? Why did he go have Timothy circumcised? Why did he go to the temple for different things? Because he loved those people. And he wanted to know, he wanted them to know that he cared about them and he cared about their way of life and he was going to try to share the gospel with them. There was those who were outside the law. That's the Greeks. Those Those Romans. And when you see Paul caring for them too, he became as one who was outside the law. And of course, he's very quick to say, doesn't mean I just did whatever I wanted to. Now, we're still under the law of Christ, but I lived my life in such a way to have an impact upon those people. And even the weak, those weak brethren that he dealt with in, in Corinth, 
those ones that had the issue about meat being offered to idols and such, he became as weak to them that he might win the weak. This morning, one of the reasons why I am a gospel preacher is because I do care for people. I love them. And you should love them too. Because when you think about people being here in this auditorium, when you think about you know, numbers as far as attendance and, and things like that, don't think about it just being numbers, but each and every one of those numbers represents a soul. A soul that will one day spend eternity somewhere. And if you don't love that soul enough to try to do something, maybe not, you can't do everything, maybe you can't do it all the time, but if you can just do something to make an impact upon them for the gospel, that's the way you show somebody you love them. That's the way Jesus showed his love. That's the way Paul showed his love. And that is a great reason why I want to be a preacher of the gospel. And that sometimes can mean tough love. That means that I'm going to, to preach about things like attendance, preach about things that are, are doctrinal, preach about, about things about a commitment and about and getting away from apathy. And, and sometimes some of these things may hurt our feelings. Some of these things may quote-unquote step on our toes. But if we do it from the standpoint like Paul, preaching the truth in love, then it can make an impact. Then it can hopefully save souls. This morning, another reason why I am a preacher of the gospel and a reason why I think that Paul definitely was a preacher of the gospel. He makes a point in verse 22. He says, I become all things to all men that might by all means save some. Paul knew that there would be some who would listen, who would change, and be saved. I'm very thankful Paul doesn't say, I've become all things to all men because that way I can save everybody. Because that's not realistic. Because that's not the way the world works. And although we give Paul a lot of credit, and he should get a lot of credit because he did so many things for the Lord's church, he saved countless souls through his personal preaching, countless more, obviously, through his writings. Paul was a man that knew about failure. Paul was a man that knew about frustrations. Paul, you know, thanks be to God, when the first time Paul had somebody tell him, no, I don't want to hear, Paul didn't stop. The first time Paul was run out of a synagogue by his own brethren being the Jews, Paul didn't stop. Maybe Paul was remembering back to a time when he heard somebody preach. A young man by the name of Stephen. Now Stephen stand up before that, that, that group, that synagogue of the freedmen there in Acts chapter 7, and he starts to give this message and how the Jews there, hearing that message, they, they shut up their ears and they gnashed their teeth and they took Stephen out and how they were going to stone him and they laid their coats down at the feet of this young man by the name of Saul. And as he was wreaking havoc, as Saul went about wreaking havoc in the church, maybe he remembered how that those Christians then, instead of giving up, they kept preaching. 
They went out everywhere spreading the gospel. And now Paul, too, he knows that if he keeps doing it, some will listen, some will change, and some will be saved. And so basically what I see from this is that Paul, knowing that there is that some, Paul is saying that all the frustrations, all the fear of life, all the loss that I've had, you read the book of 2 Corinthians, you read about all the things that happen, the shipwrecks and the beatings and the, the perils among uh, my countrymen, the perils among strangers, and, and all these things. He basically says, all of that's worth it if some will be saved. And some will. And thankfully, I don't have those same frustrations that Paul had. Thankfully, I don't have somebody that's coming down to, to, to run us out of town or who is, we are fearing for our life because we are preaching the gospel. But definitely, you know, too, if you are an evangelist of any type, even in personal evangelism, that preaching the gospel can be frustrating. But isn't it all going to be worth it if one person can go to heaven from it? All that frustration, all of, of the hearts that are, are slammed shut, all of the ears that are closed, all the people saying, I don't want to hear, or all the apathy, or all the I don't cares, all of that that you go through to get to somebody that says, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And as being willing to place themselves in Christ through baptism, that is well worth a lifetime of frustration. Some will change. The final thing that I think about with Paul and the reason why that he was a preacher of the gospel. He says in verse 23, basically that he does all of this for the sake of the gospel. In other words, what Paul was saying is, Paul was doing all those things because Jesus died for him. So many times, Paul was, you can read in 1 Timothy, you can, you can read it in, in Romans, you can read it in several of his writings. He seems to hearken back to a time that he was lost. To a time that he did not deserve salvation. To a time that he was outside of the promises of the gospel. And how that Jesus thought him worthy enough to hear the gospel and have the opportunity to be saved. Paul even says, you know, that this is a, a faithful and trustworthy saying that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners of which I am chief. So many times, Paul, the reason why he was continuing to preach the gospel is because he knew that Jesus gave his very most in dying for him, the very least he could do was preach about that death to others. He comes to Corinth and, and to these people and in the same context of 1 Corinthians 9, he comes to them earlier and he says, I didn't come to you with this flowery speech, with this wisdom of men. I didn't come to you, you know, like the other great preachers, if you will, or speakers of the day where I came knowing one thing. Christ and Him crucified. Because that made all the difference. That made all the difference for Paul. And so I can tell you my why this morning, 
The reason why I want to be a gospel preacher, the reason why I have dedicated my life to this, is because Jesus has done so much for me. When you read passages like John 3.16, you can read it for God so loved the world, but I realize he's saying, for God so loved David far, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, because Jesus left a home in heaven and came to this earth for me. Jesus was born in that that lonely birth of in a manger, even though he was a king, for me. Jesus taught for three years about the kingdom of heaven for me. Jesus went about doing good and and healing the sick and, and changing the world with his actions for me. Jesus was someone who was persecuted, who was ridiculed for me. Jesus was someone that was taken by those rulers of that day. And he was taken to this this court system that, that had no justice with it at all for me. Jesus was beat and bruised for me. Jesus had that that whip tear up his back for me, had that crown of thorns placed on his head and beat with that rod for me. And I can almost just imagine it in my head at least. And as Jesus took on that cross and started to walk that road from from there, from, from Pilate's palace to that hill that we called Calvary or Golgotha, and as he was laid down on that old rugged cross that we even sang about, and as that, that Roman soldier who was, who was told to take him and to put those nails in his hands and his feet, and I can imagine as Jesus was having his arms stretched out and had his hands placed there next to that wood, and as that Roman soldier put that nail next to his skin and raised up that hammer, at least in my mind, I look at Jesus and I see him looking at that and what's going on. And as the hammer falls down, I can think of Jesus saying, This is for David. This is for David. This is for David. With each successive blow. He did that for me. Now I realize he may have done that for you too. But I'm thankful he did it for me. And so when Paul says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, I think about him writing later on in Galatians where he says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but yet Christ that lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This morning, I hope you can understand my why. I hope you see the why that Paul had. It's a strong why. No wonder Paul could could live his entire life the way that he did because his why was so strong. No wonder when he's coming to the end of his life, he he can say that he is like a drink offering ready to be poured out. How that he has fought that good fight, how he has finished the course and kept the faith. And henceforth has laid for him a crown of righteousness, which the good and righteous judge will give him. 
but will also give to everyone else who loves His appearing. This morning, be challenged to find your why. Why should you want to share the gospel? If nothing else, remember, Jesus did this for you. One more passage, then the lesson will be yours. Over in 2 Corinthians and in chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul says that God made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might have the righteousness of God in Him. This morning, I want to be a preacher of the Gospel. The Gospel is that death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want you to obey the Gospel. And the way we obey the Gospel, if the Gospel is the death and burial and resurrection, then the way that we obey it is we too have to die. We die to our old man of sin, putting away that, that life that, of what we used to do. We do that by believing in Jesus and by repenting of our sins. No longer is what I want to do, but what the Lord wants to do. Then we bury that old man of sin. We bury him like, like a dead thing should be buried. should be put in the tomb and, and never to be thought about again. But we bury him in the graves of baptism with Jesus. And then we rise again. We don't rise as that dead man. We rise as a new man in Christ. As Paul would say, Behold, all things are brand new. All things have been created new in Christ. We put Him on and walk in that newness of life. And if you have never put on Christ in baptism, there's no better time than right now. No better day than May 6, 2018, as you are here in this building on this day to make the commitment to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for the rest of us that are Christians, let's remember why. Let's remember why. And let your why drive you to better things in Christianity. Is there any help you this morning? Please come as we stand and sing.